Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome or welcome back to Talking Ship, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Megan Fitzgerald. This show is for people who love talking about TV and for people who love talking about relationships and is hosted by me, someone who loves talking. And usually what we do is each week we dive into a specific relationship from TV and talk about why this couple works or doesn't work and what, if anything, we can learn from them. But this week, we have a special guest who's here to talk about dating and relationships and compatibility generally. So I thought it would be a fun episode to talk about the state in love and dating generally, because we are in a very specific moment. So I thought it would be fun to talk about which characters from TV best capture what experts are predicting dating in a post-pandemic world will be like. Because, you know, the whole point of this show is that sometimes it's just easier to use television characters as an example in order to capture and explain what you mean. So we're going to bring up some examples that you all know and love. So later in the episode, I'm chatting with a professional matchmaker. She's the founder and CEO of Luma Matchmaking, April Davis. She's worked with the housewives, everyone, all right? She knows what she's doing. And we're going to get into how she determines compatibility, how and where a spark happens, and the effect she thinks COVID is going to have on dating as we all come out of this. And then we're going to talk about her favorite relationships from TV and how she would match certain characters from a recent popular TV show. So stay around for that. But before we get into her interview, I wanted to do a little intro where we talk about the state of dating in a post-pandemic world. And I was inspired to do this after seeing many, many vaccine cards and seeing many, many men post about how, quote, crazy this summer will be and having many, many conversations with listeners and friends about what this next six-ish months of dating will hold. Because we're living in like a once in a lifetime moment for the, everything, but for love and dating specifically, it I don't think we'll ever have this exact moment again, hopefully. And I thought I had it pretty figured out what it was going to be. Among my many circles, I've referred to this summer as, quote, the Bacchanal. Um, and if you weren't forced to take many ancient theater classes, and you didn't have a head of your theater program obsessed with Bacchus, the Roman god of sex and ecstasy, or Dionysus, if you're a Greek god person. Um, Then I'll give you another example other than the Bacchanal. It's the Roaring Twenties, which would historically make sense, right? Because this America coming out of a global pandemic similar to the Spanish flu, we're ready to party. And we're also seeing, I mean, just colloquially, if you don't want to look at ancient Rome or ancient Greece or the 20s, we're seeing a lot of shot girl summer captions or, you know, white boy summer if you're a Chet Hanks fan. And I thought we were all on the same page and that this was going to be a summer of Samantha Jones and Joey Tribbiani. And then Cosmo and Esquire and the Kinsey Institute all came together to break my brain And they came out with this study about the effect the pandemic has had on dating and the future of sex. And I was so fucking 
wrong. So I wanted to take this moment to talk about what this study predicts the future of relationships is and what TV characters I think highlight this change. So here we go. So this study, and again, yeah, Cosmo and Esquire, but also the Kinsey Institute, which you know from the Kinsey scale. So, you know, they know what they're doing. They surveyed thousands of people across the country and the data was designed to reflect the census. So again, this is not city specific or age specific. So certain groups might go in a different direction, but this is like generally the national trend. And here are some highlights from that article. Basically, they are predicting that 2021 will bring about the next sexual revolution. And <laughs> I want to start with this quote. Here at last is the dawn of the new age of sex. So, you know, that's something that would be endorsed by Samantha Jones or Xiomara Leonueva or Gillian Anderson's character in Sex Education or really any character on HBO. I think we can all get behind the dawn of the new age of sex. And the article goes on to say, the future of sex is... Every person, single or coupled, is very intentionally seeking better and bolder sex, not just more of it. So basically, this article is predicting the end of the one-night stand. Um, the study shows that people are no longer into random, meaningless hookups. They make the argument that the three-night stand is the new one-night stand. And 64% of people say they're less interested in having more than one sexual partner at a time. And 52% of single people say the next thing they're looking for is a relationship. What? This is not Bacchus. This is not Dionysus. This is not the Roaring Twenties. But the study is not saying that people are going to settle down into some tragic, boring, Jim and Pam style missionary. Jim and Pam have bad sex, I guarantee you. And if you want to fight me on it, you can come into the DMs. But there's no way they're doing anything but missionary. The data and the relationship experts offer the explanation that during this time where we survived without having as much sex, if, you know, you were single, taught us more about the sex that we actually want to have. They make the argument that before people were pursuing for the sake of pursuit, and now, 37% of people want to wait longer to have sex. We actually want some sort of connection with the people we sleep with. And I think the pandemic kind of forced that on us. I think we were forced to get so good at communicating with partners during the pandemic about health and safety, etc. Also from this study, 42% of people say they're more likely to ask about physical health before committing to sex. So we're A holding our partners to higher standard. We have to have like a higher, heavier, stronger filter about who we sleep with because we're not sleeping with Republicans and we're not sleeping with anti-maskers. Kind of the same thing, but you know what I mean. And B, we also had to communicate with them more. So it makes sense to me that now we can do that. We have that in our practice and we can wait a little bit longer for sex because that's kind of what most of us who have been taking the pandemic seriously, have been doing. And I think because of that, now we, you know, have that in our wheelhouse, we're all down to establish a little bit more of a baseline before we have sex. And I think what that's going to mean is better, more communicative sex. And that goes for single people. And it also goes for couples. 46% of couples say they're engaging in more sexual experimentation than before. So that's 
erotica, mutual masturbation, sex toys, and 69% of men say that they now feel more affectionate towards their partner than they did before the pandemic. And this makes sense to me too. I think the pandemic forced a lot of couples to address things that they weren't before. And I honestly thought that would lead to a lot of breakups, but the study actually shows that only 7% of couples who considered breaking up actually plan to. So people are working it out and they're working it out in the bedroom. So this article is in Cosmo and you can also listen to a conversation with the Cosmo editor about the study on the podcast, Girls Gotta Eat. You know how yoga teachers are like, oh yeah, I recently, I took a class with my yoga teacher. That's how I feel when I talk about Girls Gotta Eat. They are, they are my yoga teacher. So you can find it there and just send it to your group chat and, uh, you know, light it up because I, I wonder if this will look differently in cities. I wonder if this will look differently in certain age brackets, but you know, I, I think they make a really compelling argument and I'll be interested what you all have to say about it. And maybe the study is wrong, but I don't know. It makes a lot of sense to me. So I thought it would be fun to go into who I think, if this study is right, which characters from TV can be our 2021 sexual revolution role models. So I'm going to break this down based on what, where you're at and what you're looking for, because that is how all relationship advice should be breaking down. I hate when people give women relationship advice and they're assuming women want commitment. Sometimes we fucking don't. Okay. So we're going to break this down by if you're in a relationship and I want to stay in it, if you're single and you want in a relationship or you're single and you want to keep doing you, but you'd still like to have great sex. Okay, so let's start with in a relationship, relationship goals for the 2021 sexual revolution. I'm giving you Richard and Sutton from The Bold Type. Okay, and if you watch this show, yes, there's a very emotional cliffhanger that they leave us on, but we're going to push that aside for the moment and talk about Richard and Sutton and their healthy fucking sex life. They are, first of all, so hot. But unlike other hot characters on TV, they don't rest on the fact that they're hot and leave us to assume that just because they're hot, the sex will be good. That is not the case. They actively talk about their sex life and the things they are doing to improve their sex life. They make reference to the fact that they watch porn together. Sutton is very vocal about her love of sex toys. There's an episode (laughs) where she and Richard play with like a very new age phone operated sex toy while she's out and he's at home and like yes it's played for comedy in the beginning but then they get it going and it sounds really hot all they also use a lot of words of affirmation about their sex life and it seems like they're using each other's language of desire and they're just they're constantly telling each other how much they want to bang um there's a scene where it's implied they're going to go upstairs and have sex. It's Richard's birthday party. And Sutton, (laughs) this bitch, just scoops up a bunch of whipped cream off the top of the birthday cake and makes her way up the stairs like, fuck yeah, I'm just going to casually make him lick this off me. And the show didn't need to make this into a big thing or a big teachable moment. We're just like, yeah, these two people have great sex. So if you're looking to spice up your sex life or you're just looking for some relationship goals, I'm going to give you Richard and Sutton. Um, and a runner-up, maybe a more of a beginner's example, I would say Michael and Jane on the on Jane the Virgin, because after Jane loses her virginity, they have to learn how to talk about their sex life 
in an active way. And Michael literally reviews a video of them having sex to figure out what was working and what's not. So listen, couples, we're into toys, we're into mutual masturbation, we're into porn, and we're into talking about what works and what doesn't. Boom, sexual revolution. Okay, let's move on to if you're single and you want a relationship. So if you are one of the 52% of singles who after 13 months of being alone are thinking, you know what might be nice um, is uh, finding a connection with somebody. But also I know my value and I'm not going to waste my time on someone who's not going to treat me right or fuck me right. Sexual revolution TV example is Issa of Insecure. And Issa has been on a journey, of course. And if you know the show well, you know she's had some moments where she doesn't quite nail her um, romantic or sexual life. But here's what we can take from her. By the end of season four, she's learned to value herself, her career, her path. She's not compromising for anyone or obsessing over anyone. However, she's made room for dating again by being open, being straightforward, being very clear with Lawrence. And also she's the one that kind of pursues it. She asks him to dinner. But mostly, I think the reason that she got here is that she took the time to get to know her sexual self very well during her hotation phase. And I think the hotation phase is a great one for us to learn from whether you're single and you want a relationship or you're single and you don't. Because all of the people that she was sleeping with weren't strangers who were going to fuck her badly. There were guys she could confidently give sexual feedback to. And then when the hotation phase wasn't serving her anymore, she didn't keep pursuing for pursuit's sake because she knew her worth and she had a good vibrator. So if you're single and you want a relationship, I think the sexual revolution is all about knowing yourself really well, knowing what works for you, and then being straightforward and going after what you want and giving feedback with the partner that you choose. And runner up of single and I want a relationship is Charlotte York of Sex and the City. And not the, I'm going to settle for the creepiest man alive because I want to get married, Charlotte. I'm talking about the Charlotte York who booked two dates in one evening. The Charlotte York who dated Mr. Pussy. The Charlotte York who opened herself up to the possibility of dating someone she would not have imagined as her type, but let him grow on her. And there'll be more of this theme in the interview with April. And what do these two have in common? Excellent, iconic vibrator scenes. Fun fact about Charlotte's vibrator scene. Rabbit vibrator sales increased 700% after the episode where Charlotte uses a rabbit vibrator. 700%. That's the effect of television, everybody. Also, common theme throughout this, um, vibrators. Uh, sex toys of all kind. Sex toys and outdoor heating lamps had a really big 12 months. <laughs> okay, and then we have I'm single and I just want to keep doing me but I do want a healthy sex life. And this is why I love this idea that the three night stand is the new one night stand because like, you don't have to be in a relationship to have great sex. But I do think great sex is rare with a one night stand. Unless you yourself are just amazing and barely require anybody else for sex to be good because you're just good. And that's why this isn't a Samantha Jones comparison because I get the sense that Samantha's just really good at sex and doesn't really require a partner for it to be much better. Um... <laughs> She's just excellent. Uh, so the role models I'm giving you for single and I'm loving being single in the sexual revolution are Abby and Alana from Broad City. Abby and Alana are sex positive, sex forward, sex exploratory. We have a pegging scene. And the people they keep around are good people that respect them. 
And when things get weird, they call it off because they know they can get it elsewhere and they only deserve the best. And up until the end, when Alana does, you know, kind of ease into a relationship, most of the series, they're just not prioritizing wanting a relationship. They're prioritizing living their best life, making memories, having experiences, figuring out their career and having great sex. And romance just isn't something in their life that takes priority right now. And, you know, maybe that's what the true Bacchanal is all about. You know, just prioritizing, making memories with our friends, getting drunk at a park, getting high at inopportune times. I'll take it. It's what all my theater professors would want. And then we'll do a movement piece afterwards. The runner-up for this one, for single and I want to stay single, is Frankie of Grace and Frankie, who is, again, valuing herself, valuing her worth, doesn't need anybody that's going to make her life harder, but still make sure she has plenty of orgasms. So those are, you know, just some characters to hold in your heart and mind as you go about your romantic life for the next six months as we all work through what will be one of the weirdest times in our love lives whether we're single or in a relationship i personally feel like i'm falling somewhere in the middle of wanting a relationship or not like i've been so pumped for the bacchanal but when i really think about it this is what i was thinking when i was making eyes at men on the street today over my mask is that i've been assuming the eyes that people are making is we're all just horny we're all just ready to have random sex but i don't think that's what it is i think it's that we've all just been alone or with haven't met new people at at the least in a long time. And I think we are craving human connection. And I think that's what I'm craving too. I'm not craving random bad sex, even though that might make for a better podcast. But I want the human connection of flirting and arm touches and chemistry and having that human experience again. And if I end up dating somebody seriously, great. If I just get really good at making eyes over a mask, great. If it just means I have a Rolodex of men who I'm not going to date, but they respect me and they know what I like in bed, also great. And I just think I'd like to end this little mini segment before we go into the April interview. Um, but this Samantha Jones quote, as I do think that it summarizes what Cosmo Esquire and Kinsey are saying is the sexual revolution. And that is this. Fuck me badly once, shame on you. Fuck me badly twice, shame on me. Know your worth, know what you want, go have great sex, everybody. And now <laughs> we will get into our interview with April Davis. All right, everyone. I'm so excited for today's guest. She is the founder and CEO of an Inc. 5000 premium luxury matchmaking service. She has a master's in business management and has been a life and dating coach for more than 10 years. Her company, Luma, has more than 25,000 elite members seeking committed relationships, which makes them the matchmaking service with the highest database of high caliber singles. Luma combines matchmaking with life coaching to make sure that clients are prepared for all aspects of a successful relationship, starting with themselves, which frankly, I wish everyone I've dated was required to do. She's been featured on Forbes, CBS, Fox, and very relevant for this audience, Real Housewives of Orange County. Please welcome founder and CEO of Luma, April Davis. Hello. Hi. Well, thank you for having me today. Yeah, I'm so excited. Um, thank you so much for being here. So as you know, the concept of this podcast is we look at TV relationships and talk about why we love them or hate them, what makes them healthy or unhealthy, well, good or bad match. And I think you're the perfect person to have here because 
we as audience members do this with fictional characters, but you do this with non-fictional people in real life. <laughs> yeah, I see how it, this, how these TV shows impact people, yes. their perceptions and their expectations and um, fantasies, basically, of what they, yes. they're looking for. Yes. Yeah. Well, we're going to get into that because I do want you to like talk some sense into some of us that are romantics. Um, But let's just start before we get into the TV stuff. Let's just start with you. So Mm -hmm. you started this company 10 years ago. How did you originally get into this? It's 11 years now. Oh, Um, wow. Okay. Um, Well, I started actually the first couple I ever put together was when I was 16 years old. Oh, wow. Yeah, I, they were, it was a lady that I was working with. I was a waitress in a little cafe and then the patron would, that would come in there regularly that I would um, wait on. And I ended up, um, I knew they were both single and I thought they would make a good match. So I ended up putting them together and they got married. So, oh my God. Yeah, yeah. So then fast forward 10 years after that, I worked in corporate America. My background was in process improvement and I knew I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And then I realized that matchmaking is a thing and then you can, that it could be an occupation. So initially, you know, I was just looking at what other services were offering, what they were doing. And I thought, you know, I could do this a lot better for what people really were looking for and what people wanted. And so my background's in process improvement and I just started the company Initially, it was just for fun. I was, wasn't even charging people, just was doing it, building up my database. And then eventually, I built it up enough and that I could make this into a full-time gig. And I started, I had employees and then started building it up. And eventually, we're, now we're a national company and um, part of the Inc. 5000 fastest growing. Wow. So that's pretty, pretty neat. That's exciting. I love that it started when you were so young because that's all it, it gives me, you know, a full picture of like starting as this like very, mm-hmm. I think relationships, you know, you, there's like the romantic part of it, like the romance and you like saw these people and like that's like being a romantic at heart, I feel. But then right. also process improvement, business management. And I think healthy relationships are a little bit of both. It's about finding the right person for clients and yeah. you to, you have to know that right person. And so you have to have a big, um, you know, a, a wide net to cast so you can find that right person for our clients. And it's not just as easy as just throwing people together on a date. A lot of times, you know, we're talking through things, we're coaching clients, we're helping them, whether it's to figure out what they should wear on the date, um, a hair, mm-hmm. photos, like we do a lot of stuff with our clients to help get them to, you know, ready to put their best foot forward. Because a lot of times they're really busy professionals and executives and they're, you know, focused on their career, but they don't have time to deal with apps and trying to find that right person for them. So they want to be able to outsource that process, just like they really outsource most things in their life so they can focus on what they're good at and what they enjoy doing. And, you know, a lot of people don't enjoy, you know, swiping on apps and they want to put themselves out there and you know they want their privacy and stuff so that's why they choose a service like ours yeah that was one of my question is kind of what makes an app dating client versus what makes somebody go to a service like you um mm-hmm. especially i mean you have seen over the past 11 years the dating app game kind of change so right. how have you seen that kind of affect 
your clientele and just like dating patterns in general? Yeah. When I first started you know, match.com, there was no Tinder. I mean, it was mm-hmm. a taboo and not many, not, not as many people had been doing it. And the apps are really, they're still not the um, people think that, Oh yeah, most people meet online. Well, actually the number one way of meeting somebody is through somebody else still. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, it, the apps are more for entertainment purposes. It's to get that, you know, a little shot of dopamine that makes you feel good because somebody liked you. And, you know, a lot of times people don't ever even meet anyone. They're just on their messaging all day long and they're not actually there to find that person. And so anyone that comes to us, they want a serious committed relationship. They're not just looking for a hookup or a messaging, you know, a pen pal. <laughs> they're looking for the right, you know, that person that they can go through these hard times like now with COVID and yeah. everything they want to experience life with and right. a special person. Right, right. So let's get into that. What do you look for in a client before you take them on? How do you know that they are ready for your service? Well, I think it comes to, okay, first of all, are they are they over their ex? Are they ready to move on? Do they really want a committed relationship? And, um, you know, are they ready? And if not, you know, maybe there's some homework they need to do or clean some things up. Or, you know, I suggest oftentimes to people to do a little more reflection and um, maybe it's talking and working with a a counselor or reading some books or different things that just to make sure that they're ready because it's interesting when it comes to relationships you know everything else in life we study we go to school we go to college you know we get ready for our career and um you know we invest all this time just to make sure that we have a good career but arguably i would say relationships are the most important thing in your life your spouse who you choose to be with and yet people don't really put a lot of time and energy into making sure that they're ready and um, they know everything that they're choosing the right partner for the right reasons. And then, you know, if that relationship doesn't work out, okay, are they reflecting? Are they taking that time to step back and, you know, recognize what was their role in the breakup? How can they do better? You know, how are they going to take what they learned and apply it to the next relationship? You know, what books have they read? What, you know, have they talked to anyone? There's, there's so many great resources out there. And yet we kind of, when it comes to relationships, we just kind of, bounce around like oh that didn't work so move on that one didn't work let's move on to the next one and instead of actually being really smart and strategic about it and you know really learning more about ourselves and um and then also what we want and what we should be looking for in a partner it's not just about attraction and chemistry because that stuff will that shine wears off eventually and then you're left with a person that you need to be in a relationship with long term right and you want to make sure that your values align, that your lifestyles align, that you both want the same things, you know, at the end of the day. So there's those things are what truly matter long term. Right. Right. So when you start to set up people, when you're starting to make the matches, what are some of those most important traits of long-term compatibility that you look for? Do you look at life goals, lifestyles? Do you do any kind of like love language or attachment style work? What's kind of your method? You know, there is no, like if you do this, this, and this, then you have a a match, you know, there's no algorithm that can predict if people are going to work out long-term. But what we do is, so initially I might look at geography, make sure, you know, they're 
realistic they, that they can get together, of course, narrow it down from there. And then there's attraction, of course, because that's the number one thing that people um, need to initially at least get that interest so they move on and actually move to the next to the next step and, and pursue a relationship. And then from there, we're going to look at um, their values and the value systems, making sure that they're aligned. You know, if they both are, say, in their 20s or 30s and they want to have kids, you know, we'll make sure if their views on religion are similar. So because raising kids in different religious backgrounds can be an issue for some people. And so that's why we interview everyone. We go, on average, we end up interviewing about 50 people per client. So we're, we're going on 50 first days for our clients to vet them. <laughs> would be a good fit for who and then um lifestyle plays a role too you know people what people want and what, what like if somebody that's really healthy they want somebody else that is um takes care of themselves and it's also really healthy those kinds of things can play a role in it but you have to kind of prioritize what what's the most important thing and to some people it might be okay number one priority is we have to be the same religion or number one priority mm. is Need somebody that's vegan, which whatever. <laughs> that's a bad example, and I don't, I don't necessarily agree that you need somebody that's vegan. Whatever, everybody has their thing. That yeah. So. Do you think to that point? Do you think there are any kind of non-negotiables that you find are like the most helpful to have, um, mm -hmm. or maybe the most common non-negotiables that you think like lead to successful matches? Or do you think that can sometimes be unhealthy and limit your um, perspective or right. and, and who you're looking for? Well, I think you have to limit how many non-negotiables you have. So I give <laughs> three three needs, three wants, three nice to have, some three deal breakers. Okay. okay. So now you're going to put in there like loyalty is a need. Um, somebody that's smart and you know interesting that might mm -hmm. be um, if he's six feet and taller or taller. That's probably not a need. That's probably kind of nice to have. Okay. So, um, and it's prioritizing those things. We also have people do, it's a values assessment. So okay. basically they go through and they pick their top values and then they weigh them against each other and you determine what is, what are your top values, your, your core values. You can't, you can't, um, but up against those. Those will eventually lead to the demise of the relationship if you don't um, uh, choose accordingly. A lot of mm -hmm. times when we first are dating somebody, our judgment is clouded because our nature, our brains literally change and we don't see all those red flags or we think, oh, I'll get over that. It's okay. It's fine that he, you know, cheated on his last girlfriend or whatever it is. You know, I, I'm just, you know, because your that chemistry is there, your hormones are going crazy, and you just ignore those red flags. Well, eventually that wears off, and mm -hmm. this this person, and so that's why it's so important to pay attention to that, and that's why I also say it's so important to not have sex too early in a relationship, mm -hmm. and um, also don't get married too quickly <laughs> because you don't know who this person is. I think right. you know someone. And very a minimum of a year before you decide to get married. Yeah, I just had this conversation with friends this weekend. And there's this line from I think from like Bojack Horseman, where it's like when you're wearing rose colored glasses, all of the red flags just look like flags. And yeah. we were Yeah, That's we were talking a good about line. Yeah. Okay. 
Um, and we were talking about something very similar of someone who really liked the person they were dating and they he assumed or she assumed he would get over not wanting to have kids. And yeah. three years into the relationship, nobody had changed their mind. Yeah. Women see potential. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they always see, oh, I'm kidding. I can help him to be better. I can help. I can change him. Like he has potential, and that's not necessarily who they fall in love with. Potential, not who the person yes. is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can uh, definitely the fantasy that. Yes. So, speaking of the fantasy, um, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people who uh, listen to this show and who you know think about TV romance, care about TV couples, identify as romantics. Mm-hmm. Are there any kind of myths or unfair expectations in finding lasting relationships that you wish people would kind of let go of? No, there's none. No, <laughs> not at all. Okay. TV, all TV doesn't show us anything that's unrealistic. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I say this all the time, that Hollywood has just has ruined women and their ideas of what guy is out there. Everyone... Every woman thinks that there's some Mr. Gray out there looking for them that's going to mm-hmm. some billionaire, mysterious billionaire that's looking for them and is going to totally fall unreasonably in love with them after meeting them one time. Right. Um, yeah, our, um, it's, it's that pride and prejudice story over and over again, basically. And I think women are in love with Mr. Darcy or the, of, this, mm-hmm. of this person. And they think that he's out there and he's looking for her. So we just, you know, he has to find Especially I feel like the Mr. Darcy aspect is like, oh, the guy that's not paying attention to me, that's like not being super forward with what he wants. He secretly wants me. Mm-hmm. I think that's the like pride and prejudice of it. Um, but I think the dating kind of common wisdom that I'm hearing more and more now is like, if somebody is into you, you won't be confused. And if they're not into you, you'll be confused. But do you think, what do you, you feel like there's anything behind, especially I would say with like men being not as straightforward anymore? Do you feel like that has shifted over the past few years? I think what has happened more so is that you see, yeah, they're interested in you Mm -hmm. for one thing. And then women often will think, or men, I mean, they, they can go both ways. They think mm-hmm. there's more, something more there that there's, they're going to have a relationship, but it's really, it's for sex. And so it's, it's important not to confuse, you know, that time when you're together and, you know, how they might make you feel, you know, when, when you're together and it's just, it's great. You have all this chemistry. Well, what's happening in between the times that you see, mm-hmm. are they ignoring you or are they, following up and, you know, in constant communication, that tells you how somebody really feels. You know, if they yeah. are into you when you're there and you're together and then they forget about you and they and you never hear from them until you see them again, then it tells you it's a different, different kind of um, relationship than yeah. what you want. So. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I actually want to talk about the initial kind of stages because... I feel like I'm someone who am now trying to be a bit more strategic about the way that I date and sometimes and that's going on more dates and also knowing being more clear about what I want. But something I hear from a lot of people who, especially right now, I feel like an app date, the complaint I hear is that there's no spark on the first dates. And here's where I feel like, you know, obviously like TV and Hollywood has like 
influenced us um, heavily because we think that if there's no chemistry immediately, then there's not going to be chemistry. But I actually feel like it's really rare to, you know, be in this situation, you know, you're walking into a date to be totally yourself, totally relaxed and have there be a spark immediately. So is this something you hear from your clients a lot? What's kind of your take on the spark in chemistry? Yeah. Well, I think sometimes those people that you feel the chemistry with, they might just be really outgoing um, people that are, they're easy to connect with and it's just a Mm -hmm. body type that they can make other people come out while they have, they can have good chemistry with everyone, you know, because they have, that's their personality type. Mm -hmm. Be careful not to confuse that with true chemistry. And yeah, on that first, the first time that you meet somebody, that's just, I don't don't, don't even know if you can call that a date because you're, (laughs) you're just meeting them for the first time. And then from there, yeah, it definitely connections, chemistry can grow. As you get to know someone, it's there's that um, game. It's called like, what is it? Something X. Thirty six questions to fall in love with anyone. Oh yeah, the New York Times. The mm-hmm. premises that you ask somebody a question and then they answer it, so they're revealing something about themselves and being vulnerable to you. And then they ask you a question and same thing, go back and forth. So eventually you're you're building this connection because you're opening up to each other, and then they you feel like you're in love or because you're you feel so connected because you've been so vulnerable with them and, mm-hmm. with them. and you know, that could be called, that could be chemistry. It could be a connection. And so mm-hmm. it can take time. It can be going through getting to know someone, being around them. And also the other thing is, I mean, we've all had that initial spark and that initial chemistry and you think, Oh, this is great. And then it fizzles out. Right. right. So we know that can happen. So also why can't the opposite happen? People are, complex you know they're layered and you can't tell me that oh I just I know in five minutes that if this is the person or not no I mean you can know some things but just basing it on that initial chemistry that spark you know some people are just very gregarious and they're Mm -hmm. fun and uh, funny and outgoing and you might think oh yeah this is my person but that's not necessarily what's going to predict a long-term relationship Right. I like that you bring up um, some the idea of someone growing on you and it can come from any direction. And this actually leads nicely because I wanted to talk about one of your favorite couples from TV, because on this show, we try to basically like break down what is a fantasy and then what is a helpful example of like, look what could happen. And what I like about uh, we're going to talk about Claire and Jamie from Outlander, everyone. So if you haven't watched, like, here's your spoiler alert. <laughs> But I think they're such a good example of that because he is clearly he's in love. It seems like pretty early on and it takes her a little bit more time for mm-hmm. him to grow on her. Yeah, she's still married. But I wanted to talk about that, that wedding night. I think that evening where he starts to like open up to her and tell her about his family and she talks about his is like, that's kind of it seems to be like a cracking open of the relationship and she starts to see more of a potential do you tend to see kind of like a pattern like this in relationships where people are tentative and they're unsure and then connection happens do you feel like this is a pattern that you see in 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 successful matches 
in successful relationships, yes, often mm-hmm. people do the opposite, right? They have sex and then they try to build the relationship from there. Uh-huh. It doesn't work out that great. So yeah, that's why, you know, and it's, it's what's so crazy to me is like, okay, you're going to be intimate with somebody, you're going to get naked with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet you can't, you don't feel comfortable talking to them about you know, making plans for the weekend or whatever right. they're telling them, like, hey, are we exclusive or what are we, you know, or having those kinds of conversations, which I think that is, that's true intimacy, right? It's being able to talk to somebody, be vulnerable, to open up to them, and then you know they're going to be there the next day because you have made that real connection. It's not just having flirty chemistry. It's really being, knowing somebody. Well, and yeah, and we see in that scene, after they actually have real conversations, the sex is better. And that's my thing about it too, is like, I think if you can't communicate well in general, then, then is the sex even that good? If you can't communicate about like what you no. really want and need? It's no, it's robotic basically. You just, okay, this is, there's no meaning behind it. There's no passion and there's nothing. So mm-hmm. it's just going through the motions. Mm-hmm. So do you feel like, it is, I'm hearing a lot of people say like, it is kind of the time for women to be the people who, the one who approaches. Do you agree with kind of that headed, headed in that direction? Well, I think nowadays women, if you want something, you have to go after it. And Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that you need to go and like throw yourself at every guy, but I think you need to open the door and make it Mm -hmm. so he knows that it's safe. You have to be a little more aggressive so that he knows that he can ask you out and he feels comfortable yeah. or you ask him out, ask him to something like ask him to go grab coffee. I did with my husband when I first met him. Yeah. I, just, I asked him if he wanted to grab coffee and it was, it wasn't, I wasn't necessarily like trying to hit on him. I just thought this is a great, he's a cool person. I want to talk to him some more. Mm-hmm. Need to have, it doesn't have to start off with this like, Oh, it's a date and sexual tension. It's just, you know, getting to know someone, but that opened the door, then he felt comfortable pursuing me and then in yeah. the relationship. And so I think nowadays, if you want, and believe me, if you don't, somebody else will go after him. So like the, the good ones, they're used to, they're lazy. The good ones are lazy because they <laughs> after them all the time and they don't need to. And so they end up dating whoever ends up going after them. So you have to make it so they feel comfortable they can because you know good guys don't want to be the creepers they don't want right. they don't want them anyway because the ones that are coming after you and are, that are really aggressive a lot of times they're professionals you know this is what they right. do, really good at it and mm-hmm. you know you might feel this spark and this chemistry and you think you have this great relationship but he's doing that with like 10 other girls too by the way. right right mm-hmm. I like that. He's a beware of the professionals do you have any other like good first move ideas for oh, women trying to approach okay. men? So we're talking about you know TV shows and um, what is it? Was it yeah? It's Pride and Prejudice where she demonstrates how they throw their handkerchief so the yeah um, so the soldiers can grab it. So you have to find a way, ladies, to drop your handkerchief. <laughs> And yes. they can pick it up for you. And I told this to one lady, she literally dropped her keys in front of a guy. So you can pick it up. But yeah. I mean, you don't have to do, you don't have to do that, but you can just say hi, joke about something or, you know, there's always ways to start a conversation with people. And I wouldn't just wait to practice it and do it with the one guy that you're interested in. 
doing mm-hmm. if you're friendly and you're smiling and you're you know, charismatic with other people, then it's going to be a lot easier when you are around somebody that you're attracted to, to be able right. to start that conversation. And right. yeah. And then that way you've opened the door so then they feel comfortable talking to you in the future. And I love that. The other thing is they're going to, they may notice that you're a friendly, open person and that's attractive too. Why not? Mm-hmm. You never know. You might end up beings and might end up in a relationship with somebody that you didn't initially, you know, they didn't initially catch your eye, but yeah. or they might introduce you to somebody. It just it, it's, I think nowadays we all need to take, realize like we're all human. We're all in this thing called life, right? And yeah. um, I, how much effort does it really take to say good morning or hi or hello? Right. Like these are just very basic manners that I think a lot of people have forgotten. And they don't, I, I don't know how many times I've walked by people and I'm like looking at them and not make, you know, going to make eye contact and say hi. And we might be the only people for a mile and they're like looking down and just ignoring me. I'm like, that's awkward. That's just, right. I don't mean, why can't we just say hello to each other? I mean, yeah, it's almost like people feel embarrassed to say hi or embarrassed to think somebody's cute or like embarrassed to Something. have feelings for someone. And that's like, that's just being a human and, and right. a kind human. We've lost our, yeah. our you know, just our basic um, communication and interaction skills. And I think yeah. just going back to the core basics will be important in opening the door for somebody, holding the door for someone. Yeah. Get your brush off your manners, (laughs) say hello, and and yeah, your world can be opened up quite extensively. Nice. Oh, thank you. Um, do you have time? Can we end with like a fun little Bridgerton game? Bridgerton. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. So this, you know, it might be wild and ridiculous, or it might we might all learn a lot. We'll see. But basically, I'm going to go through a few characters from Bridgerton and I'll describe them because I know we all watched this show very quickly. And I don't know if I hadn't, you know, had to like study the show. I would remember all the characters. And then I'll have you um, as the expert kind of share what kind of partner you think they need or what kind of traits you think they needed a partner. All right. So let's start with the big one. Let's start with Daphne. Well, I think what she was looking for was someone kind of like her, someone that, you know, had, was well-groomed and Mm -hmm. um, came from a good family, established, and um, a gentleman and respectable, not necessarily Fifty Shades of (laughs) Grey-ish. Someone that, family is important, you know, and also maybe it's religion that ends up having one kids you know at some point all those things and then also um socioeconomic that Mm -hmm. probably i would see her with somebody similar to her as well well my next question would be so simon would you have taken him on as a client (laughs) if he was so he reminds me have you seen that um indian matchmaker show yeah some of it yeah Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the male guy in there that okay he he really didn't want someone, right? But say he mm-hmm. came to me and he said, yeah, I'm, I'm looking for somebody. Um, we'd go through, okay, well, what are you looking for? What do you think you're looking for? But really what he needs is somebody that's going to challenge him and mm-hmm. um, intrigue him, somebody that isn't just going to 
and give him what he wants. And, you know, it's somebody that's going to make him work and that he respects ultimately. So, yeah. yeah. Do you, can you sense that when you're working with a client, when you're like, this is what you say you need, but I see what I know you need. Do you feel like well, that happens? Yeah. You know, a lot of times it's prevalent in their past relationships. So we go through mm-hmm. you, who you did in the past, what work worked, what I didn't. And then that can help us to determine who would be a good compliment to them. But, um, and oftentimes it's just reading the person and then seeing, okay, for example, we get a lot of women that are really strong, well, very successful, kind of have some masculine energy in the workplace because they're in roles of maybe attorneys or business owners or you know, maybe CEOs or doctors, you know, that's, and they have to have that really powerful masculine type energy at work. And then they think they want somebody that is more masculine, more alpha and you know, stronger than them. And so they feel like they're being dominated. And mm-hmm. what they need is somebody that they respect and somebody that supports them and allows them to do, you know, do their thing and be who they are. And it's going to help elevate them. Right, right. Yeah, that masculine energy that reminds me of like the younger sister in Bridgerton, the one that's like, I don't want to get married. And like, mm-hmm. I don't want to be a lady. You, you couldn't put her with somebody, you know, more like somebody like one of her older brothers, like with that kind of like masculine dominant energy, like that would never work. It feels no, like. she needs somebody that would come at her sideways. I would say somebody that's like, mm-hmm. that kind of maybe mischievous, and they can play games and have fun together. And then she's going to be like, Oh, kind of cute yeah and then now they're they're more equals she doesn't because she can't feel she can't be made to feel like she's you know somebody's property she wants she needs a guy that is going to treat her as an equal is going to elevate her and you know support her stick stick up for her and make her feel like her voice is being heard yeah what do you think? Because I think the next season of Bridgerton is apparently about the older brother mm-hmm. and his relationship, the one who was with the opera singer all season. And I don't think it's supposed to be her, mm-hmm. um, but it is about whatever his romance will be. So who do you think he needs in a relationship? You know, there's something about with the opera singer, what he liked about her is he didn't, what I think he, what I can see him liking in her is that he didn't have to be a certain way. Like, patients mm-hmm. of him, if he was to be with somebody that's like his sister, you know, he, a woman like that is going to expect him to be a certain way all the time and be on and, you know, do certain things. And so with the opera singer, he could be himself, he could be and loose and feel relaxed and comfortable and safe, ultimately, because he knew that she cared for him and was wasn't going to go more basically and so um, i think with him he needs he needs that but he also needs somebody that he can feel um maybe challenged by and have fun with i mean a lot of times what ultimately what guys are looking for is somebody that they're attracted to and somebody that's cool he's to get along with right low drama and just um it's just fun and they can do things with and have fun with and so it's about you know what what's going to draw in someone like him is somebody that he respects you know that mm-hmm. value to his world you know maybe she's interesting or fun or brings a different perspective or something new well i can see him with somebody that's like it's 
I think what if I was writing the script, I would make it somebody that's kind of gaming, like where you don't think that they re- they really don't like each other to begin with. They're kind of mm-hmm. back and forth. You have to build up that tension, and and then they are basically like all of a sudden they're gonna realize, oh yeah, we we do like each other, <laughs> and, yeah. and there's a lot of um, maybe verbal, well, some banter and mm-hmm. verbal chess, so to speak. Yeah, because that's like respect, right? Like you, you if, to be able to like spar with somebody, you have to respect them, mm-hmm. and then past that, hope that uh, you're actually compatible in the, in the long term, and figure right. that out right. from there. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, cool. I could do this all day with you, but I will <laughs> let you go. Thank you so much for being here. I'm going to share all of your social medias in our outro. But is there anything else that you want to? Any other like? final words of wisdom you want to leave all these kind of romantic people with? <laughs> well, one thing I would just say is I, I talk about this all the time is that Hollywood has really screwed up our expectations on what we're looking, what we think we're looking for. And, mm-hmm. and, and especially for, for women, because we think that there's, you know, there's somebody out there that has you know, all these great character traits and there's this perfect person out there for me. And, I just need to find that person that has, you know, this, 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 and, you know, checks all the boxes and then I'll be able to, we'll be able to fall in love and we'll have this great relationship. Well, that's not how the real world works. And quite frankly, you don't want somebody that's perfect because when you, when, if they're so wonderful and they're so perfect, what are they going to expect from you? Right. And you're human and you're vulnerable. Mm -hmm. What happens when you get sick and you're not perfect or say your hair falls out or if something, you know, horrible happens you want somebody that's going to be there with you for the long term and so just focus on what's the most important what are the most important things and it's not just that he's you know six feet tall or has you know this job or whatever it's really like is this person going to be there for you really supportive right you know what really matters ultimately all right. So, well, thank you for having me. This is fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here. And um, I will share with everybody how to follow you and keep up with you and, Thanks. you know, go to you if they're ready, if they're ready. Yeah. They just need to go to lumasearch.com and fill out the profile form and meet with one of the matchmakers. Cool. Awesome. All right, everyone. If you want to follow April or, you know, get matched yourself. You can find her on Instagram and Facebook at April Davis Matchmaker. You can find her on Twitter at Luma, L-U-M-A underscore search. And you can find her online at Luma, L-U-M-A search.com. If you'd like to follow the podcast, we're at Talking Ship Podcast on Instagram. And we are now on TikTok. And listen, if you have been listening to the show and enjoy it, now would be a great time to give us a nice review, throw us some stars, throw us a subscription, because those stats really do matter in order for us to keep building the podcast and get fun guests and stuff like that. Anyways, if you want to follow me, I'm at OnlyMegan815. So find us online and, uh, you know, tell me about who your 2021 sexual revolution, dating revolution, TV role models will be, because I'm sure there's some that I missed that are perfect for the moment. So find me, find the podcast and let me know. And we will be back next week with a fresh new couple. Actually, they're not very fresh. They're a throwback couple that I think a lot of you will enjoy hearing about and talking about. We will see you next week.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.